is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart, of, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated and uh, we'll dismiss our school-age kids to the back. I'm assuming we're still dismissing school-age. Yes, okay. Okay, it's been one of those weeks. I know you've known it. I want to just say a quick thanks for uh, everyone who's kind of stepped up and stepped in. We've got a lot of people out, some still traveling, some quarantined, some uh, struggling with the flu. It's just been one of those, one of those kind of weeks. So for those of you who are watching at home, I just want to uh, let you know that we're thinking about you, praying for you for sure. The rest of us, if you brought a, a Bible with you, um, would you open it up to, uh, to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, the passage that Cole just read for us, and uh, entitled uh, the message today, New Year, New You. Um, Reynolds told us last week not to, uh, not to have any New Year resolutions, so don't have any of that. But he did say we're allowed to have uh, some goals. So um, my little achiever self, it kind of heart sank a little bit. No resolutions, uh, but we've, we've got to change the world this year. Um, but I understand his point, and the point is so valid and so true that a lot of us put our hope in the turning of the calendar. calendar. But the problem with the new year is we bring ourselves into the new year with the new year. And all the problems and all the things in our past are still with us uh, in the new year. And this, and this has been uh, an interesting set of, uh, of New Year circumstances, has it not? Walking through this worldwide pandemic, the racial strife, the political tension, the relational division, it's just been, it has been crazy. And some of you in here are, uh, I kind of feel like uh, some people, uh, you know, it just, just the anxiety is, 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 just going crazy. You're just so anxious about what's next. And then on the other side, there's this uh, group of people that's like, you know, uh, nothing's really going on. And they're just kind of blowing through it like a, like a, a running back through, uh, through the defensive line. But I think we were doing a Bible reading plan through the pandemic. And I came upon this passage in Jeremiah 17. And it has been... Uh, it has been great for my heart, and I have gone back to it again and again and again. As I look back through the seasons and as I prepare for even this year, it seemed like 2020 was a real season of pruning. And very quickly we learned what our hope was in and what our hope was not in. And we were exposed a little bit. We, we kind of, I, maybe I speak to me personally, um, I love the predictability of life. And 2020 proved that there's, that, that was really an idol of mine, this idol of, of, of um, assurance or being able to plan out and structure my life in, in a certain way. 
And then 2021 felt a little bit, as we look back on it, like the wilderness. Things just, you know, one wave after another, one issue after another. Things did not get better as we had hoped, at least as, as we thought it would be. So what's 2022 going to be? Lord, what are we walking into? I've been praying. Lord, what does this season hold for us? One of my seminary professors uh, in our pastor's class kind of exhorted us, young preachers, know what season you're in and what season you're headed into. And he said it with a lot of wisdom, but I've not figured out how to know those things. Because, I, I mean, I can kind of tell what season we're in once we leave it. I have no idea what 2022 is going to hold. But if you look at this passage that uh, my friend Cole just read in Jeremiah 17, it doesn't really matter what season we're leaving or what season we're headed in because God is with us through every season. Jeremiah, the prophet of God, paints this strange picture in Jeremiah 17, really a picture of two trees. Of a tree in the midst of drought, in the midst of a desert or the wilderness, of one tree in the midst of drought being pelted by heat only to be green and never ceasing to bear fruit. And conversely, the other that is a tree or a shrub, I think it says, uh, it says here, a shrub in the desert that's will never see fruit, will dwell in all the parts places, will occupy the wilderness, and will not see any good come. If you remember, Jeremiah is one of the prophets in the Old Testament and uh, incredible character study. He had a really hard job. It was to bring the word of God to people who didn't want to hear it. And faithful as he was to stand up and proclaim the word of God. And yet every time it would fall on deaf ears and hardened hearts. Now I am prayerful that we are headed into a fruitful year as a church. But Jeremiah is going to remind us. It's all about the root systems of our life. It doesn't matter what season we're in if the tree has deep roots. Now, growing deep roots in the Christian life doesn't happen by accident or even by osmosis. It, it happens when the Christian intentionally makes effort to pursue growth and maturity. The reminder here is, blessed is the one, look at it, I think it's in verse 7, blessed is the man, blessed is the man or woman, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. As opposed to the man who puts confidence in himself, this is the man whose confidence is in the relationship with Christ, who grounds his hope in the Lord. And Jeremiah is not even talking about, he's not even comparing here the man who uh, is worshiping other idols, which is certainly their problem. He's bringing this word to Judah when Israel and Judah split and became, became two countries. And they had this cycle of returning to the Lord and then falling away from the Lord and starting to worship the idols of its culture. 
But Jeremiah is not calling them out, at least not here, on the idols, idols of the culture, although that is something they did often. Even God's people, we have this history of God's people from the very beginning of the book all the way right through the Old Testament of people who would move into an area, a new area and adopt the cultures and, and, and idols of that culture. We even see this with the people just recently rescued from uh, slavery in Egypt in Exodus, right? They, they didn't even have a chance to adopt the idols of the new culture. What they do, they made an idol of their own. And so that's certainly something, and we as a church need to be aware of that. The pull of our culture is strong to worship the idols of materialism and religion and comfort and power and fame. Real powerful idols we certainly have to be aware of. But this text doesn't go into that. It exposes a more subtle idol, the desire to worship ourselves, to put our hope in ourselves, to rely on our own strength. Look at it with me in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands, they will not see any prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in the salt land where no one lives. One theologian who's an actual expert on plants in the Bible. Do you know that was a job? You could be an expert on plants in the Bible. How incredible would that be? In Hebrew, the name of this, of this plant that he speaks of, this shrub, is, is the, the arar bush. Which sounds similar uh, to the word uh, for cursed in the Hebrew language, which is part of this word play. Those that live there actually call this bush the Sodom apple. Because it grows in the desert salt lands that surround the Dead Sea where Sodom and Gomorrah once was. And according to their history... When God destroyed Sodom, this, uh, the fruit of this tree was also cursed. And even today, if you travel there, it will look like it's a fruitful tree, but you'll grab a fruit off the tree and you open it, and it makes the sound of releasing air. And there's nothing in it but a dried pit and some dust. What's so interesting about it is it looks healthy and abundant and even survived in really hard times. But inside of it is nothing. Decay. If you're familiar with Psalms 1, you can see how the prophet is using Psalms 1. God is using Psalms 1 through the prophet to put these ideas into words. And I think the question before us today is not what season, again, are we moving into as a church, although I'm praying it's a fruitful one. The Lord promises it'll be an effective one, either to prune us even more to expose ourselves and the false idols that we have. But prayerfully, it will be fruitful in many other ways as we will, we're praying for people to come to faith. A couple years, uh, a year ago, we set out our uh, 10 and 10 goals. And some of those we're starting to see take shape and it's really amazing. As we're befriending more people at the hub, 
Um, as some of you begin teaching and serving with the VIP, it's such encouragement to my heart. We wanted to see people go into, uh, take a step into vocational ministry. We were able to license Connor last week and more of those kind of <clears throat> coming in the path. And we're hoping even for a new space uh, whenever God decides to bring it about, there are several things moving. And I'm hoping even and praying even for more fruitfulness. But this passage in Jeremiah, it, it, it comforted my heart so much during the pandemic. I think I found it in maybe April of the pandemic as we were walking through our reading plan. And I've gone back to it again and again. And the promises of God as he compares the man who trusts in his own strength with the man who trusts in the Lord. But before we get into that even a little further, maybe let's just take a minute and evaluate our own life. How's your outlook? You encouraged or discouraged? What about your hope? How's your joy? What's your hope really in? Where is its source? How's your heart this morning? Your spirit? Psychologists tell us that there's really three selves, and I would add a fourth if you really look at Scripture. The first self is the public self. This is the self that we want people to see. This is why you didn't come here in your pajamas this morning, why you washed your face probably before you come. This is why you send your kids to the door if someone's knocking, if you're not ready to see someone from the outside world, right? This is the... This is the, the public self. This is why when you're fixing to go somewhere, sometimes you have to ask your kids or sometimes my wife has to ask me, are you really going to wear that? That's the public self. And then there's the imagined self. This is something that's really kind of developed even more so. It's always been something that people have thought about, but now we can curate our image on social media apps. You know, you can use the right filter to make your eyes look a little bigger, and your double chin to go away a little bit. Have they developed that? You could just grow a bigger beard and hide the double chin. That's what I'm working on. Um, this is the produced self. The way we, the way we want, uh, we wish we could be. It's the imagined self. Then there's, there's the real self. There's the self that, that you really are. That you in your own mind and your own heart. The self that you know that you are. The private self, the self that you don't even maybe let your spouse see, the secrets that you don't tell anyone, this is, the, this is the private self, normally full of secrecy and oftentimes sin. It's the private self. But then Jesus introduces a new self to us, and it's the transformed self. And I think too often, even in the church world, <clears throat> we hear the message preached, <clears throat> excuse me, but instead of doing anything at the heart level and being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, we just up the public and imagine self a little more. If I just act, I can act my way into this. But the Apostle Paul would go on to say that the transformed self and 
Romans and in Corinthians, that we're being transformed, right, from one degree of glory to the next. Don't be conformed to the image of the world, but be transformed. This is the transformed self. And we are a transformed people, prayerfully. That when you step into a church that believes the Bible, that follows hard after Jesus, you see a transformed community. Maybe I should say a transforming community. Because we've certainly not got there yet. And I think this is what Jeremiah is pressing on. And he would ask us even today, how are your roots? Not what I can see above the surface. Because both trees looked to the eye like they were okay. It wasn't until further inspection that you saw one had fruit in every season whose leaf never withered. And the other who was desolate and barren. Are your roots deep and connected to the right source so that you flourish in every season? Are they shallow and maybe barely connected to the right source? Are they divided? Maybe one root connected to the right source and some tied into the world. So your fruit still looks good from the outside, but it's not consistent or evident. And church, I, I, I have a real warning that I feel in my own heart as the Holy Spirit has moved in my heart. There's a real danger of drifting. There's a real danger of us just making it about the new normal or just getting through this current wave or us just reaching the next, next benchmark. There's a, but there's, there's, there's a real danger of us drifting. What does Ephesians say of being tossed to and fro? By every wind of culture or doctrine. Especially in times of disruption. Certainly in times of favor and blessing. There's a danger to drift. And I want to draw your attention to these three things really in our passage. That Jeremiah highlights. Your heart, your hope, and your habits. First, your heart. The Lord's word through Jeremiah to Judah was first a warning about their heart. Look in verse 5 again. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Judah had seen God do some incredible things. I mean, these were God's people. They remembered how God had rescued them and delivered them and led them and provided for them and protected them and brought them into the promised land and overcame, overcame so much. You saw all that God did and it was in recent memory for them. And yet their hearts turned away from the Lord. The drift happened somewhere. They began, instead of trusting in God, They begin trusting in their own hearts instead of the heart of God. And this is the sin from the beginning. As God even blessed Adam and Eve and gave them this great garden at some point in their journey. And he gave them the charts to cultivate the land. And he, they walked with them in the cool of the day. There was this incredible picture of fellowship they had with God. And then the serpent enters the picture. And what is his lie to them? That there's a way that could be better than God's way. Oh, is that, is that really what God said? 
God just doesn't want you to have your eyes fully opened is what he told them. And that lie still comes to us all the time. That, that you're missing out on something. That there's a way that's better than God's way. And I know God said this, but the book is ancient. And what does it know? We have, we have modern day philosophers and Instagram influencers. Let's listen to them. They know what's best. The heart, the sin from the beginning is to believe that their way was better than God's way. And it's so dangerous and it's so subtle. On later in this verse, look at verse 9 with me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, I search the heart and I test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The warning from God is if you're not careful, your hearts will deceive us, presenting heart fulfillment as the key to happiness. What we desire is often not what we need. And we serve a God who's going to give us what we need more than what we want. The advice to be true to your heart fails when the heart is deceitful above all things. Many people have been led into rebellion and disobedience and Great sorrow by following their heart in a dangerous direction without challenging their heart and judging it by the measure of God's word itself. Follow your heart is such poor advice if the heart, as Jeremiah says, is desperately wicked. Now a little caveat here for the believer, those in the new covenant, we have a new heart, Ezekiel says in chapter 36. And we're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 6. And a new man, patterned after Ephesians 4. Uh, four tells us pattern after Jesus still there's an element of the flesh that remains in the believer and since Jeremiah used the term heart in a general sense we can say that our identity is not deceitful and desperately wicked yet we have to deal with the element of inward deceit and wickedness this is why God's word is so good for us like James says it's a mirror that we look into and it accurately depicts What's going on in our heart? And church, I want to call us in this new year to search our heart. Is your heart really for God? God's not asking here of Judah what they even believe. The question above everything else is do you really want him? Do you trust him? The call is to get our hearts right before God. And there's no greater question that we can move into the new year we can start the new sermon series. We can try to hit all the goals or resolutions or visions or whatever you want to call them that we have for ourselves in the new year. The first question, and hopefully it will sit with you, is do you really want him this year? Do you really want to trust him? Do you want to give all your heart to them? The psalmist cries out in Psalms 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord. That I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Or maybe we can, we can, like David, ask God to search our heart. Individually and collectively. Where there's division or unrepentant sin or idolatry or anxiety. We need to bring those things to God. 
We want to be the people of God that have an undivided heart for him. Friends, how's your heart? Really, how's your heart? Not the public heart that you, that you want everyone to see. Or the imagined heart. The real heart, the transformed heart. How's your heart? And then where's your hope? If your heart is the Lord, then your hope should be in the Lord. But again, there's this subtle danger when God gives us success. When we see the favor of God in our lives, we begin to put our hope in our own strength. And what we can accomplish in our own flesh. Again, verse 5, curses the man who trusts in the Lord who makes flesh his strength, or maybe your version says, or puts his confidence in the flesh. Compared to, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who puts his confidence in him, who puts his confidence in the Lord. Now life has a way of exposing what we put our hope in. We put our hope in our health and our strength, and it fails and it fades. We put our hope in politicians and they let us down. We put our hope in other people and they eventually leave. The only secure and lasting place for ultimate hope or confidence is in the Lord. Where's your hope? Psalms 147, the psalmist reminds us in verse 10, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Where's your hope today? Is it in the science? Everyone's putting the hope in the science, and I love science, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying that science puts something together to... Help us go the way forward. But uh, my hope's not in the science. My hope's not in the politicians. Oh, they have a plan that's going to get us out of that. They do not. I, I feel like my son Hudson could do a better job than a lot of them are doing. Is it in your own strength? See, here's the subtle one. Is it in your own strength? Because here's the danger. God gives us success and he gives us favor and we walk in the blessings of God. And then we think we created them. And did, did, you see how that, did you see how that worked? Did you see how when I did this, that happened? And we begin to boast in ourselves. Just look at the people of God as, as they have followed him. And eventually they began to put their hope in their own strength. Moses did it as he struck the rock. Gideon did it as he looked over his army. King David did it as he stayed on top of the palace instead of going into war. King Saul did it because he was a tall, handsome, and strong man. He began to think that it was of him. Even Jesus made the very point to remind the disciples of this just hours before he's going to uh, be betrayed in the garden. Remember in John 15 where he says that your need is not partial. Your need is total. Without me, he says, you can do Nothing. 
Are you really putting your hope? Are you really drawing your strength from him? Only in the Lord. Those whose hope is in his steadfast love. Look at verse 7 as he compares the two. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends its roots by the stream. Such a beautiful picture. And does not fear when heat comes. And and does not fear. Maybe you could insert what your greatest anxiety is. And does not fear when the next wave happens. And does not fear when you lose your job. And does not fear when they get the bad call from the doctor. And does not fear their wayward children. Does not fear relational strife. We don't have to fear those things. For its leaves remain green. And it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. What a beautiful promise. Not anxious in the year of drought. How many of us have prayed and prayed and prayed and God not done what we said and so we gave up praying. We became anxious in the year of drought. We became anxious In God's silence. And so we did something else. Is this not the sin of Abraham and Sarah with their servant Hagar as they tried to shortcut God's plan? So many illustrations of this throughout God's word. They didn't grow anxious in the year drought. How's your hope, friends? Still strong? Flourishing? Leaves green, bearing fruit. How's your hope? Where's your hope? Then thirdly, our habits. Of these two trees, the one that flourishes, that flourishes is, is planted by the source. It's planted in proximity of the life source. I want to encourage you, friends, to plant your life next to the source of life. Drifting being a real danger for all of us all the time. This is why God in his grace gave us disciplines. This is why Jesus himself surrounded himself in community. This is why Jesus himself would wake up early and depart and go pray. This is why Jesus himself practiced the rhythms of fasting, of prayer, of secrecy, of celebration. So many of these, of knowing and obeying the very word of God. Again, this pandemic disrupted us in in a great way I mean I remember just early on first of all my my thought was everybody's going online and I don't even know how to work a cell phone camera so this is going to be real bad real quick but just the habit of weekly gathering with God's people to sit under teaching and worship together I became so thankful again for it Even this morning as Miles is leading us in that song, The Goodness of God, it just lifts my heart up and it lifts my eyes up 
to the God who is holding all things into existence even now. The practices of studying the word of God and discussing it. Friends, I wouldn't have made it through the pandemic and still been a pastor here at this church if it wasn't for God's word. Just the daily feeding on the word of God. How many mornings did I wake up in the funk or even in my own sin, my own disbelief or anxiety or doubt and God's word, the Holy Spirit just grabs my heart through the word of God. Even in this very moment, I remember reading this passage in the very start of the pandemic and my heart's going all over and what, you know, what if, what, what happens and we, we get sick or we, you know, people, people leave the church, what's going to happen to the church, what's going to happen to the family, we, you know, all these questions and I center back on this verse. Blessed is the man, Luke, blessed are you, Luke, if you trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in the Lord. Like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots to the stream and doesn't fear when heat comes. It leaves remain green and doesn't get anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Friends, let me encourage you with some of your habits to plant yourself next to the life source. To have a regular rhythm of reading the word in our equipping hour. I know uh, Jason and some others are leading us through how to read God's word together. I would encourage you to check that out. I encourage you to check your habits. Are you planting your life in the proximity of the sources that actually bring life? So many of us have planted our life in the sources that don't bring life. The latest, the latest news on TV or on your phone or whatever we're reading, we're filling our minds and hearts with, I mean, they might be true, they might, I don't know, but they certainly don't bring, they're not a source of life. In our passage, God's discipline is coming to the nation of Judah. And God's word to Judah to prevent this, the one thing that he asked them to do is to start honoring the Sabbath again. See, in their slow drift, they had stopped honoring some of God's basic principles for life. And that is rest and trust in him. God had instituted this idea of Sabbath that you would... Stop working and stop creating and stop even worrying about what you were going to eat next week or any of those things. And these people live basically day to day. He said, save up a little the night before and on Sabbath I don't want you to work. And they forgot. And they went back and they was like, well, does God really mind? Just work a little bit and then I'll work a lot. And slowly they forgot to trust in God. And so this is what God says to them. I don't have it on the screen, but in verse 19, this is his message. After all of this, he tells them, the Lord has said to me, hear the word of the Lord and keep the Sabbath. And he promises that they begin keeping the Sabbath and they will have inner peace and then their country will have peace. But they didn't want to listen. In verse 23, Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction. Let's not be those people with deaf ears and stiff necks and hard hearts. God is trying to rescue them 
from their drifting ways. And he said, let's, let's come back and make it, you know, trust in God. And if you trust in me, no matter what you're going to walk through, you're going to flourish and bear fruit. And your leaves are going to be green because you're planted next to the right source. And they got that. And he said, let's start with this step. Let's just start by keeping the Sabbath again and don't working. And instead of work on the Sabbath, I just want you to step back and to trust me. Just the rhythm of trusting in God. You know how you learn to trust in God? By slowly trusting in God. One step of the way. You know how their hearts are refocused back to God? Here, he's just giving them a little step by just trusting in him. You know how you can trust, learn to trust God with your finances? Begin to give a portion back to him. And more of that, and more of that, and more of that. And watch what he does. You know how you can trust God in your relationships? You give them over to God. And you give them over to God, and you give them over to God. And you honor God in your relationships and on and on we could go. And here's my, my call to us with our habits, with our hearts, is that we would learn to seek God first. Hebrews 11 ends this way. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And I think my call, my heart for us as a church, is that we would reignite our passion to seek God, to stir it up again. I feel like we've, we've lost our fervency of really seeking God. We don't acknowledge sin anymore. We just call them struggles. We don't really go to war with the enemy. We just call it, man, this is a tough season. And we've lost our urgency and fervency to go to God. I know it's been hard. I know there's been a lot of struggle and a lot of stress. And we're in the middle of a global pandemic that's just drug on us. I know all those things. But as a church, we can't literally sit back and say, okay, world, we're going we're gonna to let your emergencies and your culture dictate the priority of the kingdom of God. We just can't do that. We aren't called to sit back and relax and just wait for things to be better first. And then we're going to start our ministry again. No, no, that's, that's ridiculous. God has been the sovereign king of the universe forever. And he gave us this great commission that with urgency we would seek his face and we would hear from him and then we would take that good news of the gospel to the rest of the world. We're called to guard the culture of the kingdom of God even within our midst. We're called to seek the first things first. Towards the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about worrying about what we're going to eat and drink. Verse 6, 33, Jesus says this. But seek first the kingdom of God. And I really want to call this little three-week kind of vision recap this idea of seek first. Because most of us in here, we're good Christian people and we're seeking good things. But are we seeking God first? in our time, in our relationships, in those that we're forgiving and serving the least of these? Are we, are we seeking God first? We're seek, this the intensive searching for something. Like you lost your kid at the, at the mall. We don't go to malls anymore, but if, if you did go to a mall, you know, my kids love to hide in the middle of those little Clothes hangers that make a circle, like their little fort. I've lost several kids in those little circles. And you begin to, at first, like, oh, where's Hudson? Where's Hudson? 
You seen Hudson? I don't know. Where's Hudson? He started looking, looking. Hudson! He's just giggling somewhere. You know he is. He's just having the best time. And then, you know, somebody points. They see his little orange shoes in the middle of the turnstile. And you're like, oh, that's the seeking. Seeking with fervency. And then Jesus reminds us, not just, it's not just important to seek it, but to seek it first. A half-hearted response to God will never move the need of our culture and never move even our kids' hearts. But to seek the kingdom first with a whole heart. And let me close this way. This, this is not about striving. This is not about you leaving here and saying, man, i got to do so much better. No, this is resting in who you are and whose you are. Loved by God, resting and trusting in the promises of God. And then tuning your heart to the frequency of God. God, what would you have for me? I'm going to pray for us and we're going to have communion in just a minute. But Miles is going to come up and I just want to give you some time just right where you're at to be still before the Lord. And would you ask him? First, about your heart. Where's your heart? And then maybe about your hope. Where's your hope? And then finally, your habits. Lord, what, what in my life needs to change this year? Where are my roots and the root systems? Am I trusting in myself and in my own strength? Or am I trusting in you? Is my whole heart after you? Or about the passing comforts and pleasures of the world? God, this is your church. We're your people. I pray that you begin to move in our hearts and we'll continue. I pray that there would be this sweet aroma of worship as we're living our lives for you. And not trying to earn your affection. You've already given that to us. We're doing our hearts what needs to be done. It's in your name we pray, amen. The communion baskets are open. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion. Just um, part of God's family. And when you're ready, you can come and just take a little cup out of there and partake of it. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone, but take as much time as you need really just to evaluate your heart and we'll sing together.